As we come back this morning to our letter to the Colossians, we've essentially come to the point where Paul's wrapped up this letter. We're, we're at the end of it. His letter has been instructing us continually that we are to put Christ in the center of our lives. We've, we're to focus on, on Christ, and as we do that, that results in a transforming work. This transforming work of Christ that's been the, the central theme throughout this entire letter in Christ we have new life, and because he's the source of that life, as we think about him, as we make our decisions based on his character and his instructions, we find that we are transformed, both in our thinking and in our actions. And that transforming work then affects all aspects of our lives, our relationship with others, everything that we do. Well, by the time we've come to verse 6 of chapter 4, Paul has made these points. He has made all the points he set out to make to this church in the city of Colossae, yet, yet the letter is not finished. There, there are several verses that, that remain, verses that, that largely deal with people and, and places that, that we don't know. It, this is common in Paul's letters. If you've read many of his letters, you know at the end he usually seems to have this section of greetings, and it's people in places that are strange to us. For, for that reason, oftentimes we... we don't spend a lot of time on these verses. We tend to skip over them because I've never met any of these people, you've never met any of these people, and most of us have never been to any of these places. So we maybe can find the places on map, but maybe not. It just, they, they don't have any real bearing on our lives, so we tend to skip past them. Yet I want to remind us this morning that this entire letter is inspired for us by the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, God has providentially preserved it in its entirety. He could have dropped this last part off and let that section of the scroll get torn off somewhere along history so we no longer have it. But no, he's preserved it so we have all of this. That, that implies that God gave these people's names to the church for all time. These greetings that Paul passed on in these verses, God has, has preserved them so that we know of it. Certainly, we, we do not know the, the people that are listed, but obviously, there must be something that we can learn from them. That's why they're here. As we read and consider our verses this morning, we, we find that, that Paul is, is part of a network of people that, that are working together for, for one common purpose. That this network that's been established has one purpose, to tell the world about the person and work of Jesus Christ. What, what we discover is that transformed people, or, or maybe I should say transforming people, because none of us are transformed until we find ourselves in glory, right? Transforming, we're, we're underway from the moment we place our faith in Christ until that time we come in glory, that transforming work of Christ is, is ongoing. So transforming people work with other transforming people to share the transforming work of Christ. That's what we discover as we see all of these networks of, of people and places. So, so rather than skip over the final verses of the letter in, in, in Colossians, my plan is to actually spend three weeks in these verses. Three weeks considering the final verses. That there, There's a lot that we can learn from them if we don't simply set them aside too hastily. This morning, as you can see, we're going to, to look at verses 7 through 14. These are verses that deal with specific people, and, and that will be our focus, people that he's dealing with today. 
And as we look at these verses this morning, the overall idea that we should grasp is that we can increase the impact of our efforts in Christ's transforming work by laboring with other people. Let me read that again. We can increase the impact of our efforts in Christ's transforming work by laboring with other people. Now, I normally strive for shorter sentences to express my main idea. My wife tells me, they need to be short, they need to be short, and she's not wrong. But this morning, I wanted to make sure that the point is clear. Christ is the one who does the transforming work in people, not us. We need to recognize that. This is Christ's transforming work. He is the one who does it. Yet yet Christ chooses, why I don't know, but Christ chooses to accomplish his transforming work through our efforts. He uses us. I don't know why. We are pretty inept in so many ways, but he uses us. He chooses to work through us. He uses us to minister to others. He lets us have that privilege. He allows us to minister on his behalf to other people. And through our ministry, as we share the gospel message, as we teach biblical truth, as we we encourage righteous living and, and so forth, as we do these things with others, Christ transforms people. In fact, We've been challenged repeatedly doing our part of, of, trans, of Christ's transforming work. That is our main purpose in life. That's what this letter has been about, this transforming work of Christ that we are to be part of. We are transformed by Christ so that we can serve Christ by working in his transforming work in others. That's why we're here. By this point in our series, I trust we all agree that that putting forth effort towards this work that Christ is doing, this transforming work of others, that should be our goal. If not, go back and look at the first four chapters to this point. That's what it's all about. We are to be part of this transforming work. Christ transforms us, and we are to be involved in others. That should be an assumption that it is part of our life. In fact, it should be our highest goal. What we can learn from these verses this morning is that putting forth this effort within a network of relationships with others who are doing the same thing, it increases our impact. We can do more together than we can alone. We are stronger together than we are alone. We shine brighter together than we do alone. Serving Christ is a team sport, not a solo performance. We can increase the impact of our efforts in Christ's transforming work by laboring with other people. Let's read our verses, picking up in verse 7 of Colossians chapter 4. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of, of your number, they will inform you about the whole here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions, comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. 
and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, also laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. And I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Look at the statement again. We can increase the impact of our efforts in Christ's transforming work by laboring with other people. I've just read about a lot of other people. And there are at least six things that, that we can learn about the value of having co-labors if we just observe this interaction that Paul gives us with the people listed in these verses. First, working with others means, number one, we can share gospel progress more broadly. We can share the gospel progress more broadly. Remember, when Paul's writing this letter, Paul is imprisoned in Rome. He's sitting in a a prison. Now, it's a house arrest, so it's probably some sort of a house, but he's not free to move about. Prior to this point in his life, Paul has gone on three different missionary journeys. He shared the gospel during those journeys, and as he shared the gospel in various cities, major cities of, uh, of the world of his day, churches have sprung up. During that third missionary journey, he picked up some delegates from some of those churches because he'd asked the churches in what we would consider Asia Minor, and in the, the area of now Greece, he had asked them to, to share an offering with the, the people in Jerusalem, the Christians in Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was going through a hard time, and the Christians there were ostracized from the Jews, and they were struggling. So he had picked up this offering, and along with the offering, he had picked up delegates from the churches to, to help bring that offering back. And according to Acts 20, verse 4, it appears that Tychicus is one of these delegates, so Tychicus joined Paul and traveled back to Jerusalem with him at the end of his missionary journey and apparently has stuck with Paul, even through Paul's arrest there in Jerusalem. Then Paul had a two-year imprisonment in Caesarea. Then he was transferred from Caesarea all the way over to Rome, and, and, and Tychicus apparently has stuck with Paul during this entire time. Now, Tychicus was from the general area here of Colossae, so Paul is sending him back to basically his home turf, and as he sends him back, he gives him this letter to Colossae, some other letters that were written while he was in Rome. The point is, notice in verses 7 and 8 that Paul says, why don't we just switch to this mic? I don't know what's going on with the handheld, so we'll turn it off. Um, Paul's point in verses 7 and 8 is that Tychicus is going to bring further information about what is happening in Rome. Think, think about it. Paul's under house arrest, as I said. He's not free to come and go. And yet, while he's there in Rome, the gospel is still going forth. Things are happening for the cause of Christ. We know that from the letter Tychicus is carrying now, it's the other letters, we, and so forth. We know that people are getting saved. That's exciting stuff to hear. We love to hear that the gospel is accomplishing things. So Paul himself is unable to bring this information back to the church in Colossae, but he can send a representative. He can send someone else. He, so Tychicus, one of his co-laborers, can go and, and tell them, as well as we met in verse 9, Onesimus is, is mentioned as being able to do the same. Because Paul is working with others, the, the 
news about the gospel progress is able to be broadly proclaimed and taken back more broadly than if Paul was the only person who could share it. To me, this is a little bit like the ministry that Mike and Don Jewell had for years in Brazil. If you remember, we also supported uh, Sean and Don Alexander, who for many years, Sean and Don and Mike and, and Don served together as a team in Brazil. Well, Mike and Don, because we were paying them to be in Brazil, they weren't here every other week telling us what was going on in Brazil. But sometimes in between the, the times they could come, Sean and Donna would return and, and give a report from the ministry. In fact, they worked, so they usually were on absent different years. Well, every time Sean and Donna reported about the ministry in Brazil, we heard what God was doing through the, the work of Mike and Don as well. On our behalf, work was being done, and we were hearing about it more broadly, regardless of, of which person was here reporting it. As I said, gospel work is a team effort. With co-laborers, we can share what God is doing more broadly than if we are all alone. So we can share the gospel more broadly. That's idea number one. Number two, we can expand our ability to encourage others. We can expand our ability to encourage others. Paul's desire is not simply that the Colossians would hear about what God is doing in, in Rome. He also wanted this information to encourage the believers. Think about it. If, if the imprisonment of the gospel bearer could not stop Christ's transforming work, what can? Paul's under house arrest. He can't move, and yet the gospel of Christ is continuing to go forth and change people's lives. That is exciting. If, if, if that won't stop it, nothing can. That's the message that the Colossians will hear. Don't forget, Paul himself had never been to Colossae. He had not met most of the people receiving this letter. Yet, yet that did not prevent Paul from encouraging them through, through the co-workers that would meet with them. A couple weeks ago during VBS, the, the kids were encouraged, I think, in a similar fashion during our vacation Bible school. During that, that vacation Bible school, the kids gave a, a penny offering. They, they took up penny offering. There, there was contests to see who could give more, the girls or the boys. And, and I'm sure some of the pennies came in because they just wanted to win. But they also knew that the penny offering was going to Camp Impact in Germany. Now, none of the kids at VBS had ever been to Camp Impact. I'm sure most never even heard of it before that. But as a church, we're co-laborers with Kevin Mattia there in Germany. He runs the camp. And Pastor Aaron was part of the group, as you know, that went in June with us to Camp Impact. So he was able to share pictures with the kids of the ministry in, in Germany. And the kids got excited. Even though they had never heard of the camp before, had never met Kevin Mattia personally, they were excited to give money to help the camp. Kevin Mattia, through working with us, expanded his ability to encourage others. Transferring the idea is simple, really. We, we work with others, and as we work with others, we expand our ability to encourage others. So we can expand our ability to encourage others. That's number two. A third way that, that working with code laborers and the gospel's transforming work with Christ, a third way that it helps to, is that we can strengthen the faith of new believers. <clears throat> Excuse me, we can strengthen the faith of new believers. 
We, we see this idea displayed through Onesimus in verse 9. Now, a few weeks ago, I mentioned Onesimus when we discussed the, the slaves at the end of verse 22, the instructions Paul gave specifically slaves. I mentioned Onesimus then. Uh, Onesimus wasn't really what we would consider one of the main co-workers of Paul. He wasn't really what we could probably classify as a co-labor. He was a new believer. Onesimus was a runaway slave who had escaped from his master and made his way to Rome, and, and somehow in Rome he had met Paul. That's one of those stories I've always wondered. What is the, the backstory on that? How did Paul under house arrest meet a runaway slave who's trying to keep a low profile? I don't know. But somehow Onesimus had met Paul, and Paul had shared the gospel message, and Onesimus had come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus had begun transforming Onesimus to the point where Onesimus understood that for him to live right before God, he had to be right before his master, the one he had run away from. So Onesimus was returning to Colossae so that he could return to his master. Isn't God's providence amazing? Paul lines him up with, with Onesimus. Onesimus is learning from Paul. He needs to go back to his master, who just happens to be in a place where Paul's ready to send a letter. By the way, whose master happens to be in the church in Colossae. So Paul is able to encourage Onesimus to return to your master, and by the way, I'll send a letter on your behalf as well, the letter of Philemon, that encourages his master to be merciful because returning as a runaway slave was a capital offense. Onesimus's step here of, of making things right with his master could cost him his life. But Onesimus is coming back, and he's coming back with Tychicus, who, who not so much to help deliver the letter, but to throw himself on his master's mercy. By traveling with Tychicus, he'd be safe from the, the, the slave captures, those who were seeking runaway slaves. But Tychicus could also then urge Onesimus, but, or, or urge uh, Onesimus's master. But, but look here how Paul introduces Onesimus. Onesimus, in verse 9, our faithful and beloved brother. Next phrase is literally, who is one of or, or one from you. Not only is Onesimus a Colossian, he is now a Christian Colossian. In fact, the last sentence of the verse, Onesimus is one of the they who will inform the church. They will inform you. They, Tychicus and Onesimus. Paul grants Onesimus the same level of authority to speak on his behalf to the church members about what's going on in Rome as Tychicus carries. As I said, Paul also writes this entire letter of Philemon's to Onesimus' master, urging leniency, and we can presume Tychicus, as he presents that, will personally press that point on Paul's behalf. All of this works together to strengthen, through the co-laboring of, of Tychicus and, and Paul with the church there in Colossae, to strengthen this new believer as he takes a step of faith. Friends, we need to look for ways that, that we can strengthen the faith of new believers. And part of what we can do to enable us to do that is work through a network of co-labors. There may be others that God has placed us in connection with that can strengthen a new believer more than we personally can ourselves. 
Of course, that implies we need to develop that network, right? We need to know people that we can connect with other new believers. It takes time and energy to, to strengthen new believers, and, and we naturally have constraints on all of us in how much time we have and how much energy we have. But frequently, God moves his people around for the purposes of strengthening those who need strengthened. New believers need their faith strengthened. Through co-labors, we can strengthen the faith of new believers that personally were unable to strengthen directly. We can strengthen the faith of new believers, number three. Number four, we can receive encouragement in ministry. We can receive encouragement. It goes both ways. In, in verses 10 and 11, Paul mentions three Jewish Christians who are with him in Rome. And he mentions them. They're passing along their greeting to the Christians in Colossae. You've got Aristarchus, the, the first man mentioned there. We know from Acts 20, verse 4, he's from Thessalonica. Apparently, he, too, was one of those delegates that Paul had picked up to take his offering back to Jerusalem. So, like Tychicus, apparently, Aristarchus has stayed with Paul. In fact, he's introduced in verse 10 as Paul's fellow prisoner, although Paul probably means this in a metaphorical sense. He's a fellow Jew that's been taken captive by, by Christ, since nowhere in Acts is there any mention of anyone else arrested and transferred to Rome with Paul. It seems unique to be Paul. But that's Aristarchus. Then you have Mark, or John Mark, as he's known in Acts 12, verse 25. He's also with Paul. And that presence in itself is notable because John Mark was the man who abandoned Paul and Barnabas on his first missionary journey. On the second missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas went second, separate ways because Barnabas wanted to give John Mark a second chance, and Paul said, no way, man. So they separated. Well, somewhere, obviously, they've reconciled at this point because now they're together. Clearly, Paul and John, and John Mark, or Mark, they've reconciled at some point, and here Mark is ministering to Paul in Rome. And then we have Jesus, who's called Justice. He's mentioned as well. In fact, this is the only mention of him, so we don't know anything else about this, this man. What is important is that Paul has these three men, and he says they've all proved to be an encouragement to him. These men have worked with Paul. They've helped to ensure that even though he's imprisoned in Rome, the gospel is still going forth in Rome. They're presumably somehow expanding his ministry outward from the location where he's at. They're functioning as his arms and legs throughout the city. Surely, they've also verbally and, and physically encouraged Paul, providing for his physical needs when he's not able to go shopping in the marketplace himself. They can bring stuff in for him to survive during that long imprisonment. They've ministered to him. They've encouraged him. Ministry is hard. Anyone who has spent any amount of time at all ministering to other people knows that truth. Ministry is hard. Ministry is spiritual warfare. We, we sang in the last song, it, it mentioned many of the armor of God that, that you find from Ephesians 6. Ministry is hard. It's spiritual warfare. There, there are times of, of great victory in spiritual battles. But there are also times where it seems as if the victories are lost, as people return to their sinful habits and, and fall by the wayside. There are numerous times when, when you can feel as if you care more about another person's spiritual life than that person does. 
And, and those hardships can quickly lead to feelings of, of loneliness and isolation. That is why we need co-laborers. We need people who can come alongside and encourage us, strengthen us, invigorate us, help us. Again, serving Christ is a team sport. Sometimes we may need to sit out for a couple minutes and catch our breath again while, while others carry the load. When, when we're back in, we certainly need people, if you think about it, in a, in a team sport context, that we need other people that we can pass the ball to and they can pass the ball back to us as we're trying to move around the opposition. We need others to encourage us. And we can, if we have co-laborers, receive that encouragement. We can receive encouragement in ministry. That's, that's the fourth thing we learn about having, having co-laborers, the value that they bring. Now, fifthly, as we continue to look through the names that Paul lists us, lists for us here, we can also affirm the Christian labor of others. As we work together, we can affirm the Christian labor of others. We see that with Epaphras in, in verse 12. We've encountered Epaphras already in this letter, all the way back in chapter 1, verse 7. He was the person who had traveled to Rome from Colossae. He had brought word about the dangers that, that the church in Colossae were, were facing. And, and most likely, uh, you might recall, he was most likely the pastor of this church, the man at least who, who brought the gospel to Colossae in the first place and organized the church, and seems like maybe also brought the gospel to Laodicea and Hierapolis, two nearby cities to Colossae, and formed churches there. Paul now takes the opportunity in these verses to affirm this man and the labors that he's undertaking on their behalf. He's not returning at this moment to the city of Colossae, but he is still working on their behalf. Notice Paul calls Epaphras a bond slave of Jesus Christ. That's a very unique term, a very unique phrase. Paul uses that particular phrase, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, many times for himself. But the only other person besides Epaphras that Paul ever assigns this phrase to is Timothy. In Philippians chapter 1, Timothy is given this title as well. It's a strong, strong affirmation that Epaphras is a man who is completely sold out for Christ. He is serving Christ completely. In fact, Paul then uses a word, we have it translated laboring or striving. It's a word from athletics. It pictures Epaphras as engaged in a very intense struggle against the opposition. He's not returning to Colossae with the letter, but he is still struggling for them. He's giving his all for the believers there in Colossae and the believers in these other nearby cities. Friends, as we work together with others for the cause of Christ, one way that, that we can really increase the impact of the, the gospel is by affirming the, the Christian labor of other people, affirming their ministry, Frequently adding our stamp of affirmation, just like I said, our stamp as a church on those who profess faith in Jesus Christ tells the world, these are genuine Christians. When we add our stamp of affirmation on the ministry efforts of others, that can increase the influence of those efforts. Of course, that does assume our affirmation carries a certain weightiness, a credibility. For example, if I were to tell you that United Manchester is going to have a stellar year in soccer, 
I would expect you realize my affirmation is meaningless. I know really nothing about soccer, uh, next to nothing, nearly nothing, and, and I know absolutely nothing about United Manchester's team. In fact, I know so little about soccer, I picked them because they're one of the few names of cities that I know actually have a soccer team, or a name of a team. I don't even know if it's a city. Um, that's how little I know. So my statement that they're going to have a stellar year is meaningless in that context. By, by contrast, though, if I were to tell you that one of our Sunday school teachers did a really fine job presenting a theological topic in, in, in the Sunday school, I, I would hope that in that sense my affirmation would carry some weight. Theology is something I've studied. As a church, collectively, you, you've recognized my preparation for ministry through ordination. You've recognized my, my under ability with theology through that ordination, then you called me as your pastor. So, while I'm certainly not infallible, my, my affirmation is at least credible when it comes to theology as opposed to soccer. Well, assuming we're Christians who are laboring diligently for Christ, assuming we have created that reputation for ourselves, then we have credibility in our testimony when we affirm the labors of others. And doing that then strengthens the impact of their efforts, furthering the overall transforming work of Christ, which is our goal. We can affirm the Christian labor of others. That's the fifth way that working with others helps us to increase our efforts for Christ. Lastly, number six, we can boost Christian relationships. We can just give Christian relationships a boost. The, the final people that Paul mentions in our verses this morning is Luke and Demas. It's quite surprising if you think about it. Two writers of our four Gospels were with Paul during his imprisonment in Rome. Mark, mentioned there in verse 10, not only eventually is reconciled Paul, as I mentioned, but Mark is also the writer of the Gospel of Mark. Well, now we have Luke mentioned. Luke is the well-known traveling companion of Paul from, from Acts. He's the one who eventually wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Here we learn he's a physician, so he's there. Demas is lesser known. We only see him pop up one other time, Second Timothy 4, verse 10. And in that verse, it's not in a good sense. He eventually, at some point down the road, abandons Paul during a later imprisonment that Paul suffers. But aside from that, we don't know anything more about the, the man. Still, the simple fact that Paul mentions these two men by name to the Colossians, that boosts the relationship between these two men and the church in Colossae. If the Colossians already know about these men, mentioning their connection is a reminder that they're all co-laborers in Christ. The, the church in Colossae and these men, they, they're, they're working together. If they're unknown to Colossians, well, it serves to introduce them to the church as co-laborers. Well, we can do similar things. We, we can serve to, to strengthen this network of, of people who are working together as co-laborers for the gospel of Christ. We, we network like this all the time, if you think about it. There, there's hardly a week goes by where I don't see someone in our church post on Facebook a, a, a request for a recommendation of someone who has a certain skill or produces a certain product. We need things, so we say, do you know anybody who can help with this? That's just simple networking. It's the same kind of thing that we can do to link people up for gospel purposes. 
Just this week, I, I received an email from a former member who, who was looking to personally support a missionary in a certain region. He, he had remembered that First Baptist Church, when he had been a member here, had a missionary in that region, and he wondered if that missionary was still there, or if not, did we have someone else in that region? Because he wanted to personally support someone in that region, but he wanted to have confidence that the person he supported was connected to solid gospel work. Well, by his email, I was able to link him up with someone that I know can help them. We don't personally support someone in that region anymore. Our person retired several years ago, but I know someone who's working in that region, and I assured him that this man could link him up to someone in that region, and any funds that they received would be used for solid gospel work. That, that's an example of simply boosting Christian relationship through a network. We can do that. We can boost Christian relationships. Let's remember our main idea. We can increase the impact of our efforts, efforts that should be our primary goal, efforts why we exist as Christians, why we're being transformed by Christ ourselves. We can boost the impact of our efforts in Christ's transforming work by laboring with other people. We've looked here at six ways this morning that, that laboring with other people can help us increase the, the impact that our work is having. Ways that our gospel effort can be expanded. But let's not lose sight. The over idea is for Christ's transforming work to be applied to more and more people. We can increase the impact of our efforts by laboring with others. We can work with others, as we said, just review one. We can share gospel progress more broadly. Two, we can expand our ability to encourage others. Three, we can strengthen the faith of new believers. Four, we can receive encouragement in ministry. Five, we can affirm Christian labor to others. And six, we can boost Christian relationships. These are all things that, that we do as we just simply work with others for the cause of Christ. And as we do that, the impact that we're making increases. We can increase the impact of our efforts in Christ's transforming work by laboring with other people. The question that we need to ask ourselves as we conclude today is whether we're doing these things. Are we working with others? Are we working for the transforming work of Christ? Are we working with others? Are we pridefully trying to do it all on our own thinking? We've got the answers. Paul has shown us through his example. The inspired apostle himself showed us the, the necessity of working with others. Through his example, we see that the transforming work of Christ, the work that our efforts are go toward, is something that we are to undertake alongside other people. We need co-laborers in our gospel efforts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us the joyful task of laboring alongside our Savior in the work that he accomplishes. That we can put efforts forth into his transforming work as he is transforming us, we can be involved in the transforming work he's doing in others as well. But Father, you've also shown us that our impact is much greater when we labor alongside and with others. So I pray that you would help us, one, first of all, be working together with one another within this church, laboring together for the cause of Christ in the community you've placed us. 
But Father, may our network expand beyond this to people that can take our efforts broader and broader and broader. Much as we currently work through missionaries, may we each continually strive to work with others so that Christ would be magnified. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.